Proverbs, we'll just start in chapter 1 or somewhere here in a little bit. I was just sitting there thinking, I had a conversation with someone this week, and we were talking about a situation that involved someone that, uh, well, that just doesn't understand what the Bible teaches about a particular subject. And no need to go into detail about what the subject was because it really doesn't make any difference in this case. You know, I I commented on the matter by saying that, you know, a lot of people have been raised in churches or at least have been in churches for a good number of years. Uh, and they know absolutely nothing about things that we take for granted and a lot of times somebody, you know, maybe they work with someone or a neighbor or uh, might even be just someone recently started attending church and uh, all of a sudden you realize they use the NIV instead of the, instead of the King James Version of the Bible. And, and it's real easy to get all bent out of shape and think how awful, how terrible it is. And, and, and it is. Don't misunderstand me. It's a terrible thing that they, you know, might use a, a version that's way out there. It's, it's like I remember several years ago, Billy Graham, uh, he, he gave him out free the Amplified Bible. Now, if you know anything about the Amplified Bible, you know, it never was intended. In fact, they tell you it's not a translation of the Bible. It is more of a commentary on the Bible. And as a commentary on the Bible, there's a lot of good things to be that could be said about it and uh, so forth. And, and, and so what, I, what I'm saying is, and, and I just picked that issue out of the air. I, I could have talked about uh, uh, the independency of the church. I, I could talk about, you know, why we're independent Baptists. Or uh, it could be 411 different subjects is what I'm getting at. And we let that upset us without understanding that maybe that's all that person has ever heard all of their life. We need to be more understanding, you know, than that. And w- one of the one of the problems, and what made me think about this, and I sent out a, I didn't send an email. I wish I had. Now I, I sent out a, a link, of, a Facebook, uh, a share thing, on an article by Hank uh, Hendergraf uh, uh, about uh, Olstein, the, the Olsteinification of America. Or something like that, and he makes some really super good points in it uh, about how that how that he is literally misleading people, and 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 he's doing so by putting the emphasis more on man than than God. I, I wish I had saved some of the quotes, and, and I hope you'll go home and read the article. In fact, uh, it'll it'll help you. Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up has to do with this very thing. Years ago, and, and the, average, the average church member wouldn't know anything about this because they haven't studied church history. You know, a lot of our new Christians nowadays, I mean, you know, some of us have been around a good number of years now, right? But some, some, some of these young people, they're only, let's say, 15, 20 years old, 25 years old. Maybe they've only been saved a year or two. They're just in church. They don't know anything. I go to talking about, you know, Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody and all of those famous preachers of the past and the famous missionaries, you know, like William Carey and David Livingston. 
that means nothing to them. They don't know anything about those people. And uh, so we get to thinking about the past, and, and uh, all we know, all these people know about Christianity is what they've seen in their lifetime. And, and so they, let's say they attend ten different churches and the chances are very good if they just pick out ten churches out of the, out of the, out of the area, let's say, just ten churches. The, the chances are real good that they're, that most all of those churches are going to have basically the same philosophy when it comes to, to the things of the Lord. And here's the difference between today and in years gone by. And when I say years gone by, I'm talking about from 50, 60, 70 years ago all of the way back to the apostles. Here's the big difference. Everything then, the preaching, everything then was God-centered, and now we have put man at the center. We haven't kicked God out. We still talk about God. But we talk about God in the context of what God can do for us. You see, and, and, and it's, it's so subtle that some people, you know, don't even see it. That, well, like Paul said about those that worship the creature more than the Creator, if we're not careful, we will create a God in our own image. And, and, and we will picture God as existing for the sole purpose of meeting our needs and making us happy and that's what Christianity is all about for those people. And I just want you to understand that it's never been that way until the last generation or two, and suddenly everything is changing and going in that direction. And naturally, someone like Joel Osteen, that is, a, I guess, a charming personality. That's what they tell me. I don't know. I, I, I guess some of the girls think he's handsome, and I, uh, I don't know. Uh, all I know is his daddy could preach ten times better than he ever thought about preaching. And I, so I, I don't really understand it except for this. He's saying things that people want to hear. Things that appeal to them. I mean, you can prosper. Please, look that article up and read it, and it'll explain a lot. Now, the reason I brought all of that up is because in studying our study of Proverbs, and last week we had an introductory message to Proverbs, talked about what a proverb is, and we talked about the author and the aim and the arrangement of the book and things like that. And uh, we're, we're going to start uh, looking at some different topics in the book of Proverbs, but the starting point, and it's important that we do this, the starting point and the title of the message tonight is A Glimpse of God. A Glimpse of God. There's no greater subject for study than that of God. And, and Solomon speaks about a wide variety of subjects here in the Proverbs, but I want you to understand that he, do, he does so relating all of them to God. It always gets back to God. It's never about us. It's about God and uh, naturally that God meets our needs. Wonderful, that's true. But the crux of the matter is it's all for God's glory. And that's the thing that we forget so many times. So 
Now, we go through Proverbs, and there is no formal statement of theology given here about the Lord. But there's no subject that is so profound and as deep as this. And, and all we can know about God is what He tells us. I'll talk about that in just, just a few seconds now. And whenever we search through Proverbs, we discover several facts about God that we need to keep in mind. The message is not alliterated. I, I just want to just point out some obvious facts. And the first one is God is mysterious. Chapter 25 and verse number 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. And we're going to be jumping around tonight looking at different verses that relate to God. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. You know, people love mysteries. A lot of people love working puzzles. That's one of their favorite pastimes, and that's all right. I'm not criticizing them. I, I've never gotten that excited about it. After I learned how to work the Rubik's Cube, I, I didn't want to play it anymore, you know. It's kind of like water skiing. As soon as I learned how to water ski, I didn't want to ski anymore. I already knew how. And so why get out there and let them drag you around behind a boat all day? That wasn't any fun to me. That's, you know, kind of like jogging. I, I'd, uh, uh, a, pre- a preacher friend of mine put on Facebook today something to the effect, if you find, if you find me dead along a jogging trail, you know someone kill me and put, and put me there. <laughs> and uh, so I've just never enjoyed working puzzles, but it's okay if you do, because there is something thrilling about discoveries. I remember when I was a boy, about the favorite thing I could do was take a walk in the woods, get out in the country, you know, and look for arrowheads and, and things like that, discover things. And my mom used to say, I can tell Harold David coming a half a mile down the road because he always walks his head down. And I guess that's true because I was always looking for something. I don't know what I was looking for, but I was always looking for something. D- discovering things is exciting, and most people, you know, like to be challenged because we're fascinated by the unknown. Well, the greatest mystery in all of life is God. He is beyond our comprehension. That's why one reason the Bible says the just shall live by faith, because you're never going to be able to understand God, but yet He wants us to know Him. Are you with me? You cannot know all about Him, but you can know Him. And if we're going to unlock the great mysteries concerning God, if we're going to become acquainted with God, then we have to search out the Word of God, because what God reveals about Himself is basically given here in His Word. Now, He tells us a few things just by creation. Romans chapter 1 alludes to that. Just looking at creation, through the visible things, we're able to discern the invisible things. We know there is a God. He's a God of order. He's a God of power. We learn some things about Him there, but the bulk of what we need to know about God is found here in the Bible. This is where He reveals Himself. That's why it's so very important that we that we regularly search out the Word of God, just like we was looking for gold. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for gold and if you think there's a good possibility it's there, you what? You go all out 
You pull out all of the stops. I mean, but you, you don't hesitate. You get right in there and you dig and you know there's a good possibility this is the mother load and I'm going to find it and, and you put everything you got into it. Uh, you don't just skim the surface. That's the way it ought to be when it comes to God. Uh, in fact, I have a, a series and all of our Sunday school teachers one time about every five or six years, I have them to go through this series that I prepared called Knowing God. I know we got 12 or 14 lessons, something like that, I think, in the series. But there's no subject that you can study greater than the subject of God. And you'll never, and the reason we need to keep studying about God is because you, you can never discover everything there is to know about God. So from the day that you're saved until the day that you die, you can be making new discoveries about God. God is mysterious. You can't put God in a box. You can't figure God out. You cannot predict what God is going to do other than through His promises. But other than that, God has a way of surprising us. And uh, so we need to understand what we're dealing with here and why faith is so very important. That doesn't mean we throw reason out the window at all. You know, some people have misunderstood us Christians and they think, you know, we've got this crazy, weird idea that we just accept everything by blind faith. No, we don't. We don't accept anything by blind faith. Faith is our confidence in what God has said. That's the basis for our faith. So we're placing our faith in what God has revealed to us. And a lot of times when God, what God reveals, let's say concerning His will for our life, we don't understand that. We can't possibly understand all of the intricate details of it. We just know this is what God wants. Like Abraham of old, whenever God said, I want you to leave where you're at, I want you to go into a country that I'm going to show you. You, some of you remember me, you know, talking about Abraham and Sarah and him coming home that day and say, Sarah, me and God just had a long talk and guess what? We're going to move. And she says, well, you know, where are we going, Abe? And he says, I don't know. I don't, just pack your bags. We're going to move. And, and so God didn't lay it all out for him and God doesn't lay it all out for us. Uh, I have a series of messages for 10 years now and I, I, I preach quite a bit about suffering and trials and things like that. But for about 10 years now, I've got a series that I've prepared that I've never, never really taught on the subject of suffering. And, uh, and, you know, any talk about that, it always gets down to the fact that God has a reason for what He causes or what He allows. It always gets back to that. That nothing happens by accident. God either causes it or God allows it, and He always has a reason for it. Sometimes we know the reason. Sometimes, you know, the reason might be a corrective measure. Sometimes it might be a preventive measure. Sometimes it might be a matter of preparing us preparatory to a ministry that God has for us. So it can be a lot of things, but whenever you get down to the, to the end of it, sometimes... You don't have a clue what it's all about. And, and we have to hang all of our hopes on this one fact that we know God has a reason for it. And folks, listen, that ought to be all that we need. God shouldn't have to give us an explanation, you know. Here, you know, here's the, here's the, uh, here's three good reasons why I allowed you to have a headache the other day or, uh, 
you know, an impacted tooth or whatever. He doesn't explain that. Just rest on the fact that he has a reason for it. So God is mysterious. Secondly, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 19, God is omnipotent. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. Now, you've got to agree, it takes a pretty good power, uh, amount of power and wisdom to found the earth and establish the heavens. I mean, in the beginning God, what? In the beginning God created, created the heavens and the earth, right? I mean, that, that takes power. It takes the kind of power that only God has. You know, and we've just been talking about the mystery, but now we're talking about the miraculous. Uh, the miracle of creation, that, that God is a God of miracles. By Him were all things created, and by Him all things consist, uh, Paul said to the Colossians. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 12 is another verse. says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. So now we see God's creative power as it relates to us in a personal way. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, God created the heaven and the earth. He's omnipotent. He can do stuff like that. He can just, you know, throw worlds out there into space and turn on the lights of the stars. And God can do all of that, and He can, yeah. Uh, But it doesn't really become all that meaningful until it gets right down to the fact that, that it's personal. And and that's what he's saying here, the hearing ear, your ability to hear, your ability to see. Those are all things that God has done. He has that kind of power. And, And so we need to live our lives recognizing that the God that we serve is omnipotent. He's not some puny, scrawny, helpless little old God, uh, you know, somewhere. He's the God that has the king's heart in his hand and able to turn it whither he will as the rivers of water. He's the God that can do all things. And we need to live in the light of that fact every day of our life. If, if we don't, it's easy to get overwhelmed by our problems, right? Because we're all going to have problems. And we need to be mindful that our God is bigger than our problems. Uh, you know, talking about the human body, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. I, I've got a little old book. It's no telling how many years old now. Uh, a doctor by the name of, I believe his name was Ray Brown. And uh, that little old book that the... It has to do with the miracle of the human body. And it is so amazing when we think how God made us. And it's just mind-boggling. You know, man, look, we've done been able to do a lot of things, but we've never been able to do anything at all like what God has done. And the whole thing of it is, when you're going through a trial, you need look, you're a testimony yourself to the power of God. I mean, you are, you are alive and, and, and the blood flows through your veins and you have no idea how it all works, but God keeps it all going. He's omnipotent. Not only that, thirdly, God is omniscient. Proverbs 5, verse 21. 
says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. That is, God knows all of his goings, everything about him. Like somebody has said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Because he knows the end from the beginning. God knows it all. Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good, uh, the evil, and the good. So nothing ever occurs which God is not immediately aware of. So that tells me God's never surprised, right? And even the most insignificant acts catches the the eye of God. Nothing ever escapes His notice, whether it's for good or whether it's for bad. And we need to, you know, we need to take both of those into consideration. A lot of times, you know, as parents, we tell our kids, you know, you better be good. God's watching. And I, I know the modern-day philosophy is, oh, you shouldn't tell your kids that. Well, I don't know why not. It's the truth. They need to know God's observing your ways. God sees what you do. And, and you need to live your life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. So, uh, you know, that's important. But, but it's, it's not only important to think about God's omniscience in regards to evil doing, but also in regards to the good. You know, one of the biggest stumbling blocks for Christians is they get that feeling that, what's the use? You know, I can remember back shortly after I was saved, the only thing I knew uh, like I said, I, I didn't. I, I thought Job was Job, and Psalms was Palms, and I, I, did, I didn't know anything about the Bible. All I all I knew was is I was saved, and I knew how I got saved. And and and, and the the pastor said they had a thing called visitation. I didn't know what that was, but you know, I thought, well, I want to I want to do that, whatever it was. So I I told him I'll go with you. And I'll never forget going and going and going and going and going. And nobody ever got saved. I'd tell them what happened to me. I'd share with them my story. I'd give them the gospel and so forth. Nobody ever got saved. I'll never forget. One night I'd worked hard all day and I was so tired. And and the preacher or somebody called and said, hey, they, they need somebody down at the rescue mission down on Main Street uh, tonight. The, the preacher couldn't be there. Could you go down there and bring a message? And I'll never forget going down there that night, and, and, you know, I stumbled through a message the best that I knew how. Here, this big black guy, and, and I've always said he looked, his name was Bobby Lewis, but he looked just like Joe Lewis, the boxer, you know. He came running down the aisle. I was scared to death he was going to beat me to pieces because I've had him, you know, you know, stand up and cuss you out down there and what have you. And, and they wasn't always that friendly, but they had, they had to set through the service to get something to eat, so they'd do it. And he came down and grabbed me around the neck and said, I'm lost, and started boo-hooing and crying. And so he was the first person I ever led to the Lord. But I'm telling you, up until that point, it was such a struggle to keep myself going because we get this feeling sometimes that our, well, our labor is in vain. Where's Crystal at, Mike? She, she and Awana over there. Her grandpa, my dear preacher friend, before he went to heaven, and uh, Crystal's grandpa's favorite verse was 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, you know. 
uh, where he says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye you know your labor in the Lord is what? Not in vain. God's watching. God's watching. And whatever you do for the Lord, you don't need to worry about whether anybody else sees it or not. God does. He is an omniscient God. He is, he is an omnipotent God, able to do anything. He's a mysterious God, but not only that. God is omnipresent. That means that He's always here. And, and that's inferred again and again and again in many different verses. So I'm not going to ask you to turn to a particular verse, but it's certainly inferred in several different verses. You know, we think about God's power, His greatness, and all of that. But, you know, uh, that wouldn't mean anything to you if He wasn't available, right? I mean, you know, boy, we, we could write songs about God, how powerful and how great He is, and have our worship service and clap our hands and, you know, shout out loud about how great God is. But, but it wouldn't be any help if God said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be available for the next 24 hours. You know, I got to take a break. I got to take a rest, uh, or whatever. You know, I'm glad God is always here. It reminds me of the late year old boy that went to went to stay with Grandpa out on the farm. I, I think back whenever I was a boy, the thing I hated most was that that long trip in the dark down the trail to the outhouse, summer, winter, whatever. I hated it. No lights out there. I mean, it's dark. Well, this little boy went to stay with Grandpa, and he's scared to death of the dark. And uh, Grandpa knew that. And so uh, Grandpa that night said, uh, told him, said, let you and I just take a, take a walk and go out and sit on the, out on the porch and, and talk a while. And uh, the little boy said something to, you know, about his reluctance to be out in the dark. And he said, you don't, you don't need to worry. He says, he says I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder. I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder, and, and you'll know that I'm right there with you all of the time. And so the little boys struggled through it, and, and they took their little walk out in the yard and sat down and talked on the porch, and all the time, old Grandpa had his hand on, on the little boy's shoulder. And uh, finally the little boy said to him, he said, Grandpa, said, why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you afraid, Grandpa? And the grandpa said, well, because I know that God has his hand on my shoulder. And just as that comforts you for me to have my hand on your shoulder, I know God has his hand on my shoulder, that God is watching over me. And I'll tell you, folks, we don't want to forget that God is omnipresent. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and we can depend on that. Uh, he is an omnipresent God. I wish I had time to read Psalms 139. Though I make my bed in hell, he said, Thou art there. You can't get away from God. He's everywhere. Number five, God is sovereign. Proverbs 21 and verse 1. God is sovereign. I mentioned this verse a while ago. The king's heart is into the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever He will. So we see that God is not only always aware, God's not only always present, but He's always in control. And I know how easy it is for us to look at the election results and say, "Uh uh-oh, we lost. Uh Uh-oh, here we go again. Uh Uh-oh, another four years. We can't take another four years of this. And, and, 
you know, sometimes, and sometimes even we as Christians get to the point that that we put more confidence in a political party or a certain candidate than we do in God Himself. And you know, I, let me just sum it up. And America is not where America ought to be in one sense. This is not where God. In His perfect will, this is not the way God wants it to be, or else there wouldn't be any crime, right? We wouldn't we wouldn't be doing butchering little babies and stuff like that. That's not what God wants. But we are exactly where we need to be, considering where we are. Does that make any sense? We're where we need to be because what we need, what we need is to go through some kind of great difficulty in order to awaken us and cause us to turn back to God. And God knows that. And, you know, we, we don't. Sometimes we just don't throw our hands up in despair and all, all is lost and there is no hope whatsoever. But believe me, God is in control. We see that especially in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and, and in fact Cyrus and Herod and we could talk for an hour about the different examples in the Bible of how that the Lord touched the heart of the king and he turned things around. Well, God is a sovereign God, and uh, that that simply means, if I could sum it up, is that he, he doesn't need to consult with anybody else before he does something. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do, and that's what he does. He doesn't take an opinion poll. He didn't stick his finger up and see which way the wind's blowing before he makes a decision. God just knows this is the right thing to do, and that's what he does. Now, Proverbs chapter number 6, and I've got to hurry. Here's the sixth thing about God, and that's the fact that God is holy. God is holy. We talk so much about God being a God of love, and that's good. We need to do that. But God's not just a God of love. God is a holy God. Look at verse number 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth the wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And then notice he says, My son, keep thy father's commandments, and forsake not the laws of thy mother. And so all through this we see God emphasizing that he has a standard, and he hates that which is contrary to his standard, right? And so God God hates the sin. Now, he loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And we need to understand, and over and over again, Solomon reminds us that God hates sin. Well, why does God hate sin? God hates sin because He is holy. And and, and and in the average church today, we hear all of this talk about God's love, and that's well and good, as long as you keep things in balance. He's not only a God of love, but holiness. Don't forget this. Holiness is His chief attribute. In fact, it is the only attribute of all of God's attributes that is emphasized to the third degree. Remember in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy. That's the only attribute that's ever raised up to the third degree like that. Holy, it's never love, love, love. It's never faithful, faithful, faithful. It's, it's holy, holy, holy. God is a holy 
God. Wouldn't it be an awful thing that if God wasn't holy? Think about it. He has absolute power. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He can do anything He wants to do. He's a sovereign God, but He's not holy. Can you know? Can you imagine what God might do if He had a fit of anger? Kind of like a bully in a bar, you know, somebody that, you know, go in there and just whoop up on somebody else because they're bigger than they can, you know. Well, God's not that way. God is a holy God. Not only that, Proverbs 3, verse 34, God's gracious. It says, He giveth grace unto the lowly. That's Proverbs three thirty-four. Proverbs 29, 13. And I apologize for rushing through these, but it's the only way I can get through this tonight. Proverbs twenty nine thirteen: The poor and the deceitful man meet together. Notice, the Lord lighteneth both their eyes. It's another way of saying that God bestows His, His, His uh, grace upon those that are good and those that are bad. Remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. Uh, that God causes His Son to shine on what? The just and the unjust, the thankful and the unthankful. God sends the rain and the sunshine on thankful and unthankful and good and evil. And uh, so God is a gracious God. So many times we think about, you know, grace just being something that's found, you know, in the, in the New Testament. We talk about the age of grace. And certainly this is an age of grace. But don't ever misunderstand that because, you know, there are some preachers tell you, oh yeah, back in the Old Testament that was all about the law, but in the New Testament it's all about grace. Let me tell you, it's always been all about grace. The children of Israel found grace in the wilderness, the Bible says. So if they found grace in the wilderness, it had to exist in the wilderness. And tell me uh, this, was it not the grace of God that 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 kept God from destroying Adam and Eve the very moment they sinned. It was because of His grace. He gave them what they needed instead of what they deserved. So God is a God of grace, and we need to be mindful of that. Not only that, Proverbs fourteen twenty two, God is merciful. Let me let me you know when we talk about grace and mercy, those are those are two different ways of talking about the love of God. In talking about God's grace, it means that we receive what we don't deserve. But when we talk about God's mercy, that basically means that we don't get what we deserve. That's why I often say if we all got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell. And it's because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. God's mercy withholds what we do deserve. He withholds judgment. He's a merciful God. Uh, number where am I at? Nine, I think. Number nine, and I, I, I just I couldn't end the message without ending with this. God has a son. God has a son. Proverbs thirty, verse number four. It might be you've never read this verse or never really thought about it, but I want you to think about it tonight. God has a son. Proverbs thirty, verse four. Who have ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all of the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? God has a son. 
And if I had to, if I, if I had to say one more thing, and I'll do that, not only does God have a son, but God's perfect. God's word is perfect. And that, that's what we're basing all of this on, is what God's word says. It's not Brother Stone's ideas. I can be wrong in some of my ideas. Uh, I can be wrong in some of my preferences. I can say, well, you know, I prefer this or I prefer that. But I've got to be able to justify everything by the scripture. And Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. That means that you can come to the Bible with complete confidence. And if we're wise, that's what we'll do. So, we need to keep the perfection of God's Word in mind as we study it. Now, let me wrap this up. One of the greatest things about Proverbs, remember I already said that it's great because it deals with practical issues. There's no more practical book in all of the Bible. It addresses a wide variety of, of subjects. Uh, it deals with issues that we all have to face. It gets right down where, as old J. Vernon McGee used to say all the time, where the rubber meets the road. I mean, that's, that's where this book meets us. But the thing of it is, it introduces us to a lot of people. And you can take this as the introduction to the next several weeks. I'm not certain whether it will be in this order or not. But the Bible introduces us to a lot of subjects and a lot of people. Here's some people that you meet in Proverbs. The simple, the fool, the scoffer, the hothead, the sluggard, the greedy, the liar, the gossip, uh, the proud, the drunkard, the seductress, and it goes on and on. And it talks about some other things about children, husbands, nagging wives, troublesome fathers, friends, so you can see it deals with a lot of subjects that, that, that we ought to be interested in, right? Uh, and, and that's where we're going with this study. And those are, those are just some, some of the, the uh, subjects that we're going to be considering each week. And, of course, when Awana's over, we're going to back up and go verse by verse uh, through the book. Anybody have a 